What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 902 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, scholarly, pretty page, everybody. There really is no place worse than Costco on a Sunday. <laughs> and that's Unless you're really a fan of chaos. It's for many reasons, but most of it, I think, is due to, obviously, the number of people. But the number of people who are breathing on you. I'm glad you added on you, not just like all these fucking people are breathing right now. (laughs) And coughing on you and into the air. And it is remarkable how we all went through a pandemic. Yeah. The the ones who survived, we all made it through the pandemic. Multiple years. And we are still at a point in our society where adults will open their mouth holes and cough directly into the air with no no attempt at creating an impediment between the public air and their mouth hole yeah, with not, their hand not even a slight attempt i yeah. mean not even waving their hand around in a way that would not at all do like anything faking. yeah but just like something that helps me feel like maybe <laughs> there's a possibility you're doing something yeah i, I mean i see it I see it certainly at, at Costco's. It seems to me, and maybe it's because I'm I have a heightened awareness and I'm more attuned to it. But like at airports, mm-hmm. people just love to fucking do it at airports. Yeah. It's almost like a, a fuck you. Like yeah, that's right. I, we don't have to wear masks anymore. <clears throat> you know. Yeah, yeah. I think some people it's just their main hobby to cough into the air. It's something that they really like. What are you doing today? Are you, you, you're going to go see a movie? No, I'm just going to drive around and go to shopping malls and just cough directly into the air with violence and grotesqueness. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. What a weird time, though, right? Remember when you used... There was a review one time where someone said something about he thinks he's whatever and she thinks she's going to get sick standing in line next to somebody at Starbucks. <laughs> Like that's not something that happens, right? And then, and then the pandemic drops a few years later, yeah. And you were vindicated. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, there's a lot of people who will try to make me feel bad for my germ consciousness. Yeah, sure. And listen, I'm able to function. I'm. I don't take things to the extreme. I'm not like Howard Hughes out here with Kleenex boxes on my hands and feet. I'm just. I'm aware of the possibility that I could be encountering germs. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I mean, I do take it 
for me, it's a lot of times it's visual. Maybe I'm just the dumb guy that if I see, like when I walk through a cloud of somebody's fucking vape smoke, I know now all of that just came out of them and now I'm breathing that into me, <laughs> you know? So it makes it apparent that you can, because you can see it. Yeah, yeah. That, so like it really opens up my eyes to just all the crazy filth you're bringing, you're, you're breathing in constantly. Well, can I... Can I tell you, actually, I came across a study that was in my feed and something that I've recently started practicing is closing the lid when you flush the toilet. Mm -hmm. That's like a new, I mean, I don't know, new within the past couple of years that that I do. It's a very easy thing to do. For for one or two, just both. You just close the toilet. Yeah, you, you need to close the lid when you flush because we've all seen the videos of the poop flakes that get stirred up and spread around and land on your toothbrush and then you put the toothbrush on the teeth and then you have the poop flakes on the teeth. It's all connected, okay? It's all connected. And so I read this study that said that it doesn't make a difference whether or not you close the lid. Is that right? What... What makes a difference is how clean the toilet bowl is. So you need to like keep the toilet bowl clean. And I just thought this was such bullshit. I didn't even take the time to continue reading it. But what I should have done was scrolled to the conflicts of interest section of the paper <laughs> to see if it was funded by Lysol toilet bowl cleaner. Right, right. They're like, it doesn't actually matter if you close the lid. The thing that securely closes so the poop flakes don't spew out. No, no, no. What really matters is that you clean it with the cleaning products. This (laughs) research study brought to you by Lasso Scrubbing Bubbles. (laughs) Because it doesn't even make sense logically, right? Yeah. Obviously, closing the lid is going to do something unless the lid is, you know, ajar in some way. It's not completely closed. You know it's not hermetically sealed though, right? I yeah, mean there's Well, that's what they said. They said that the the flakes, I'm going to keep calling them, spew downward onto the floor. And it's like, okay, well that makes sense. That's fine. That's better than it, you know, flinging up in your face and on your toothbrush, right? <laughs> I love the 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 obviously biased language you use. Flinging these these poo flakes are flinging into your face. Listen, people won't get it unless it's violent. <laughs> <laughs> they won't change their ways unless it's violent. Yeah. Well, happy Sunday, everybody. Good times had by all. Uh, are we getting to listener communication first? Or are we going to thank the patrons, our loyal, dedicated, lovely patrons? We should thank the patrons. All right. We should do that. Uh, listen, um, we are rapidly approaching 10 years of doing this show, and we've made it 10 years in large part because of you out there who choose to give of your hard-earned money to help produce this content. Uh, if you've been on the fence and you're you're interested in joining the Patreon family, you can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and rest assured that you are absolutely um, doing good and helping us move the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis. So we would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Lex H. Lex H. Dave M. Dave M. Ann G. Ann G. Roberto G. Roberto G. Chad P. Chad P. Robert S. Jr. Robert S. Jr. Chris W. Chris W. Gracie. Gracie. And... 
Tony K. And Tony K. And then we want to give a special shout out to Tom G. Tom G, thank you. This is a special shout out. For increasing the pledge. Fantastic. Yes, thank you very much for your support. Yeah, a lot of people think $2 uh, isn't going to make a big difference, but if we're able to marshal the size of our audience and, you know, 10% of the audience we're give 2 bucks a month, we could fundamentally change what we do and grow this this the show and do different things, interviews, blah, 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 the things you hear from Patreon and um, creators all the time. And we, we love and appreciate you guys. We also just posted a bonus episode for patrons only about our favorite YouTube channels. So we People do, seem to like this episode. We do bonus episodes for the Patreon supporters only, and that is behind the Patreon wall. So if you want to get in on that action. Also, we are doing the Patreon end of your gift through the end of February. So if you become a new Patreon supporter before the end of February, you can still get in on that action. If you have become a Patreon supporter since January leading to today, your end of your gift is in the mail. So Wow! (laughs) Be on the lookout for that. All right. Uh, one of the other things we do that we think is unique among podcasts is a play. Well, maybe it's not unique anymore, but certainly when we started the show, it was very unique, is play voicemails and include the audience in the conversations we're having. Um, we also read emails, which is what we're going to do today. If you'd like to communicate with the show, 657-464-7609. And of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So... This email that I'm about to read is in response to a story that we talked about several episodes ago now about a a commercial that was funded by a local Republican Party in Idaho, uh, specifically talking about uh, candidates that were hoping to get elected to the local library board there in in Kootenai (laughs) County. Another audience favorite, uh, this is a clip on YouTube like a half a million views or something. <laughs> people, people. there's two camps, I think. People who absolutely find it funny, people who find it serious, but also I think there's a third camp that find it like almost unbelievable that these people actually exist. Yeah, so the premise of the ad, just to refresh your memory so you, you might remember, is there's a mom washing dishes a girl comes in the kitchen and is telling her mom about her day and said that they went to the library and read books and then she pauses and the the little girl says mommy what's anal sex and the mom drops the dish and it breaks and it's like ah what is your kid reading in the library exactly and yeah so it's very funny we had a good time laughing at it And this person emailing us has some thoughts about that. Hi, guys. I came across a clip of your show about the KCRCC and the anal sex video they produced. See, I had to set this up because once we got to that line, it would be like, wait, what? What the hell is going on? (laughs) And the anal sex video they produced to get their candidates elected to the local library board. While rational people would agree that this video is an absurd scare tactic... Sadly, it actually did work to get those extremist candidates elected to our local library board. They now have a majority and are approving policies and making changes to our local library system, affecting around 100,000 people. I was working for this library throughout the past election cycle, and it was very traumatic. I have since moved on. While I do appreciate the opportunity to laugh and poke fun at how ridiculous all of this seems, it really is no joke for us. 
These people come to meetings and stand outside with guns. They threaten and intimidate LGBTQ youth. They have a lot of influence over power, a lot of influence and power over our local government, so much so that we risk losing some of our most valued public institutions. Here is an article that details some of what has been happening to us over the past few years. The KCRCC's growing influence is the worst thing to happen to North Idaho since the Aryan nations in the 90s. Thanks for making me laugh, Jesse. And I want to say that the New York Times article that Jesse linked for us is titled Cast as Criminals, America's Librarians Rally to Their Own Defense, if you are interested in checking out the link that was provided. Yeah, listen, uh, this is an area of Idaho that I am intimately familiar with. I grew up just south of here. This is uh, Coeur d'Alene. You may have heard of it. Kootenai County. Um, this is the Kootenai County Republican Party Central Committee, I'm sure is what th- those those initials stand for. And it is a radical area of the country. The emailer is correct that these people won their, their elections. They are also correct in... Um, this is the worst it's been since the 90s when Aryan Nation was headquartered in this area of Idaho and eastern Washington. Very disheartening. People from California and Oregon and other places in Washington, other places in Idaho, are moving to this area of northern Idaho. They call it the Redoubt, where radical white Christian nationalists have a voice again. They have political power again in this country. And a lot of people would push back on that and say, oh, what do you mean again? They've always had power. Yeah, but it's not secret anymore. These people are just open with their militia mindset and their hatred for um, LGBTQ, minorities. It's, it is gaining power and influence so much so that they are winning elections and they are subverting democracy through even sabotaging the Democratic Party in this county, taking positions from Republicans, and then just it's 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 wild insanity out there. Yeah, for sure. I think something that we try to do on this show is balance the reality that we're facing, which can be very difficult to sit with, difficult to talk about all the time, difficult to face all the time, and trying to balance that with adding some humor into it. Yeah. And so, you know, I would hope that when people watch this segment, it isn't just laughing about the absurd, you know. Mommy? Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. But I, I do hope that people balance that with the reality of the threat that we are facing and how there are these legitimate attempts to censor information and get actual knowledge out of the hands of kids that really need and benefit from having access to that knowledge in libraries. And we talk about that quite frequently on the show, all these different efforts to restrict freedom, even though that's what the Republican Party claims that they support is freedom and limited government. And here you see it's constant efforts to use the government to enact censorship of, of things that kids actually need to learn about. So Jesse, not you, Jesse, sitting across from me, but Jesse, the emailer, we appreciate you reaching out. And you said that you have moved on, that you are uh, no longer working in in that library. So I hope that the situation that you went through is has has led you to a better place, maybe a more fulfilling place, and you're able to find some healing after what what you went through. Yeah, it's uh, 
It's tough out there, which is, again, one of the reasons why we like to pepper in or highlight and, you know, humor on the show. If if, if this was some NPR soft-spoken podcast about politics, uh, I would probably just <laughs> not do it. Well, I, listen, we deal with things in a way that some people might find off-putting or uh, anathema to them. But we, this is how we, we deal with things. So, I, even when I got cancer, we were making the jokes. So I'm tempted to tell the story about what I did to the doctor the other day. <laughs> well, you kind of have to now. So I went to the doctor the other day, and I, I'm going to be getting a colonoscopy. I was approved to get a colonoscopy. And throughout the process of communicating with my doctor, I revealed some stuff about my my childhood that I felt was relevant, including some childhood abuse. And in revealing that, like, let's say, you know, I, I revealed it pretty much up front during the appointment because it was related to things that were going on. And at the end of the appointment, she came back to it and said, okay, now that we're discussing the procedure, I want to kind of circle back to something that you brought up. You don't need to tell me the specifics of what you went through, but I just want to let you know that some people who have experienced certain types of trauma struggle when getting a colonoscopy. And so they may need to be put completely under because it's uncomfortable for them, blah, 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 alluding to like sexual abuse. Yeah. Having something put in your ass during a colonoscopy. That that would be traumatic. Yeah, right. And I said, <laughs> thank you. First, thank you so much. Because I was very impressed that, that she circled back and She's remembered amazing. everything. Yeah. And I said, thank you so much for saying that. It's so important that you are recognizing that and, and you know, communicating that to me. Thank you so much. And I said, <laughs> I said, that wasn't my uh, particular trauma. It was just regular beatings. <laughs> to, to which, this, actually, this is the the funny part's not your your line. The yeah. funny part is the the absolute <laughs> crickets that you were met by. Yeah, I like I leaned forward and like put my hand up near my mouth and like it's regular beatings. Like tried to make it funny and humorous. Of course, she did not laugh. Did not feel comfortable with that. Did not know what to say. But then I I continued to address something that she had said because she told me what which drugs would be involved in the sedation. And she said some people get so anxious during the colonoscopy that even with fentanyl was one of them, and I forgot the second one that she told me, that they don't they don't go out. Like the sedation does not work. And I told her, listen, I'm a highly anxious person. But I just do not believe that my anxiety is stronger than fentanyl. And she let out a laugh that was like, I'm telling myself it's for both jokes, for both of the two jokes combined. I think it was. Yeah, but that she wasn't able to laugh at the first one in the moment. And so she took the opportunity to really go for it with the second one. I mean, we, we've, ta- <laughs> we've obviously talked about this. I think that it's kind of like if you're in the room in a therapy situation with a client and they're making jokes, whether objectively hilarious or not, about 
sexual abuse or whatever, you can't join in on the good times of laughter. No, of course. As a professional, as a therapist. Yeah, and I texted my therapist friends, and I was like, I did to my doctor what clients do to us. Right. And then I did the same thing that inevitably clients probably feel, which is like, what the hell? Why not laugh at my joke? Right, right. You know, yeah. but of course, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but this is an example of the humor that we use. Yeah. To, to talk about difficult things and and process difficult things. So, yes. Thank you, Jesse, for your email. We very much appreciate it. And we are going to read an email from Tom next. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. I'm Tom from Canada. I used to be a Patreon member, but COVID came along and everything went on hold. But I'm happy to be in a place to give a small token of appreciation for your different media channels. I say a small token because your podcast has had an outsized influence on my mental health when I have struggled in the last few years. Even though you focus on American issues, obviously, I still find myself looking forward to your latest episode drop. Admittedly, I don't watch a ton of YouTube anymore. How dare you! See mental health struggles (laughs) above, and social media slash YouTube does nothing to improve it for me. I have a question. I hear you there. Which really may drive to the heart of my own struggles for the last number of years. I was raised in a Roman Catholic family. I attended church regularly, although never felt part of a community, more felt like I was going through the motions. I married a wonderful woman with a great family who are all evangelical Christians, parenthetically, although not the raging weirdo types that are south of our border, (laughs) and actually a growing population up here, unfortunately. In my adult life, I have struggled with Christianity, finding my place, figuring out what I believe versus what is unbelievable. This struggle is coming to the forefront over the last number of years when I realize that deep down I am agnostic, but continue living this life as a follower of Christ. Again, my family on all sides and my friend group are heavily religious, and I've been feeling lost. It may sound like a trivial struggle, but it was a recent conversation with a Christian coworker. This one is a right-wing weirdo type that pushed me toward atheism. His contention was that atheists are, at their core, immoral people because all morals stem from scripture and religious teachings. On its face, I find this a laughable claim, hence hence Jesse laughing there. But as I reflected on it, this ridiculous claim seems to be a sinister and insulting way to marginalize and dehumanize, parenthetically, seriously, immoral. I don't even know what to say to refute his asinine claim, and nor do I really want to because it's just not worth the argument. I have met lots of wonderful, kind, generous, moral people who don't preach any affiliation to any religion, so I can't say if they are atheist or not. But they certainly don't seem to be the preacher God type. You can do that better than me. God. I wonder as you transition away from your Christian upbringings, how did you do it? I don't mean that to sound like a childlike wonderment, but an honest, how do you make that break? I just feel like I can't tell anyone, my wife, my family, for fear of where that will put me. I guess that sounds cowardly. I have had these questions on my mind for a while, but I'm just now sitting down to my computer and trying to put my thoughts down. I rambled on, but thank you for all you do. Since sitting on the fence isn't an option, I'll end by saying Brittany is the best part. <laughs> Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Thanks, Tom. Tom, awesome email. Uh, I don't think it's cowardly at all to 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 keep that kind of uh, uh, an admission, if you will, secret. There's a lot of social risk, uh, especially in pretty entrenched religious communities. 
you have a lot to lose. And not material, I mean, maybe material things, but family and friends and a social network is important. I mean, it's critical to our mental health. It's critical to our physical health. It's, it's a big fucking deal. So I don't think it's cowardly at all. I don't know. I don't know that there's really any answer that can be given about how we did it. I can tell you this. I'm I'm a lot less strident than I used to be. I think I did go through kind of an angry atheist phase years and years and years ago. And now I don't really care if you're religious. I I care about what the how the, what what the output is of your of your life and your what you got going on. If you're not hurting anyone, and you can believe the wildest, wackiest stuff, but if you're not hurting any, anyone with it, and it doesn't bother anybody, not bother, because certainly it's going to bother people, but if it doesn't hurt anyone, if no one is harmed, then who, who cares what people believe? I just... Take care. It, it really sounds like you're struggling with some of this stuff. And you don't have anything to prove to anyone else about why you're not telling your family about your lack of beliefs or whether you are. That's a you thing. I don't know. I'll, I'll think it's, I, there's more stuff I want to say, but it's, uh, it, it is a touchy issue because we live in such a, a time uh, still. I mean, look. The reason I laughed, this is the thing I, I was trying to, in my mind, remember what it was I wanted to address first. And it was the reason I laughed at the people think that the, they just, it's a presupposition that morality flows down from an invisible creator of the universe as though, as though cavemen, you know, if you have Og and Ugg, Og knows he's a part of this clan, this caveman clan. And if he fucks Ugg's wife, shit's gonna break down because Ugg can't be trusted by Og anymore and and then maybe the hunt doesn't go as well as it should and then they don't eat and then they starve and they die. Evolutionarily morality is something that came about. It's not as though before the Ten Commandments, it was just fucking wor- murder willy-nilly and rape willy-nilly, and they kn- they didn't even know that it was bad. What? I'm not allowed to kill someone? And then all of a sudden, Ten Commandments, and it's like, oh, now we got to figure it figured out. That, that just, that's so bananas to me that people actually, I don't know that they really thought about it in those terms. So... Of course, morality does not, it's not objective truths given to us by by an invisible creator and then written down. Just, no, no. Yeah, so I think there's a few things that, that come up. Number one, the question of how how did we how did we transition? I think for me, I didn't grow up immersed in a, I didn't grow up immersed in Christianity. So we started going to church when I was around 12 in order to have a lifeline to pay the bills and my mom mean the charity of the church yeah my mom smartly saw church as a way to get some of our needs met and (laughs) that worked for a long time and you mean monetary needs not spiritual needs that's correct (laughs) yeah no getting the bills paid getting help with the the house payment and so 
that was something that I really liked going to church. I really enjoyed it. I went every Sunday. I ran the sound booth for both services every Sunday. I really still, I talked to my former pastor. He had a podcast at one time. Those of you who have listened to the show for a long time will remember Mark. And I I love him. He definitely has been an important part of my life. But I never felt like a believer. So I would go and I would just kind of enjoy the feeling that I got. And I did feel like the people that were in the congregation were better than what I came from. And I thought they were more moral. And I thought they were living correctly compared to what I grew up in. And so I got this sense of peace around being around people that you know, didn't have the cops being called constantly and weren't in and out of jail and didn't live immersed in the chaos that I was that I was growing up in. But over time, I learned that a lot of those people are just people. And it doesn't mean they're bad yeah. people, but, you know, they were going through similar things. It's not like Christians are immune from getting arrested or committing domestic violence or doing any of these things, you know, cheating on their spouses. Yeah. Like they're they're not immune from the human experiences that we all go through. And so everyone in my family got baptized. I didn't get baptized. Mark always made a joke that like he planted the seeds and <laughs> if he's listening to this, I love you, Mark. I'm not shitting on you. I'm just, you know, you have said that. And so <laughs> I There are several scriptures that talk about the the, the word of God not going forth void. And there are other scriptures that really more relate to parents that, you know, you raise a child up in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they shall not depart from it. <laughs> so he's he's tapping into something. Yeah. But, you know, wrong. <laughs> and so I... You know you were wrong, Mark. And and so I was just never fully invested in it, you know? and And that's okay. But I did my thesis, actually, on the differences uh, between... Theist, deist, and atheist on morality, and maybe I should throw that work up to read for free as a bonus for Patreon supporters or something, because it seems like Tom might be interested in it. But, you know, surprise, surprise, there's there's no substantial difference between atheists, deists, and theists on issues of morality, specifically yeah. the Moral Foundations Questionnaire, because people are people, and that's really what it is. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene says she's a Christian. Donald Trump says he's a Christian. Like, let's look around, you know? Yeah. We're all trying to figure out what the best way to live is, how the best way to go forward is. And if, you know, professing a belief in God is the thing that helps you make sense of the world and make meaning and you feel like it fulfills you and gives you purpose and helps set you on the right direction, great. If not believing in God does those exact same things for you, great. You know, Tom, you sound like a very thoughtful person who's who's trying to do the best that you can. And <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Just make sense of the world. And it's very complicated. And I think that's the most important thing. That's what you can hope for is people being thoughtful about these issues, you know. Yeah. We've got, <laughs> we, have, we have a good audience. Yeah. Bringing Britney to tears. <laughs> yeah, we listen. We love and appreciate you, Tom. Uh, big questions. Sorry, there are no big answers. <laughs> I think the biggest questions often don't have the answers, and that's why they're the big questions. Um, if anybody has any advice for Tom, we can relay it through this program. Six five seven four six four. 7609. You can email a voice memo or just a regular old-fashioned email 
to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there was recently some drama surrounding the defense secretary Lloyd Austin because he got a prostate cancer diagnosis and went off to get surgery and start treatment, and no one knew. Not he, even the White House knew what was happening. He didn't tell anyone. Yeah, and. Big mistake. Huge I, mistake. It, it, what is this? Uh, pretty woman? <laughs> big mistake. Huge. <laughs> I, I think it's worthy of dismissal. Mm. I, I think it's a big enough deal that he shouldn't be the the, the defense secretary anymore. It's a... It's a it, listen, when you're at this level, it's not like he's a, just a White House staffer who, who called in sick when he wasn't really sick. This is the secretary of the Department of Defense who was anesthetized and hospitalized for days and even the president of the United States of America didn't know. That's, look, I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm sure he's competent. But when you fail on this level, uh, some things are, nope, we need somebody new. And I, I think this is one of those moments. Yeah, so he he held a press conference and he explained the situation and he apologized, said that he didn't handle it right, that he should have told the president, he should have told his team, he should have been honest with the American people. But we're not going to focus on that. The point of all of that was to set up the clip because he took questions from reporters and one of the questions was about uh, the support that the United States has continued to show to Israel even in the face of evidence that they are killing citizens. Committing war crimes. Tens of thousands of innocent people, children. They are destroying homes. They are displacing Palestinians left and right. There's nowhere left for people to go. They are just recklessly destroying and killing Palestinians. Yeah, they are now, I actually took a screenshot on this from a Washington Post article to send. Uh, they are now targeting areas of Palestine that were previously, uh, here's the headline, Israel says offensive will shift to Rafah where hundreds of thousands of Gazans have fled. And, and again, this, this is a pattern. Yeah, this seems, to, I was just, that's what I was going to say. This seems to be the pattern. It's, right. Everybody move south because we're going to be attacking in the north. And then as they move south, they are bombed. It's just war crime on public display on a world stage. And the United States and all of the taxpayers who have, who have pitched in for this have blood on our hands as they systematically commit war crimes against a population that is absolutely defenseless. So Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is asked basically why the United States is continuing to support the war, continuing to support 
Israel. And I want you to listen to how he struggles to even choose words in response to this question. Back in December, in your speech uh, at the Reagan uh, Library, you told Israeli leaders they have to protect civilian lives in Gaza. Since that speech, 12,000 more Palestinians have been killed. <coughs> We're now at 27,000 killed. Why are you still supporting this war when this government, that is the most extreme in the history of Israel, led by someone who refuses to recognize any political right for the Palestinians and with elements that are calling for uh, ethnic cleansing and displacement of Palestinians. Do Palestinians have the right to dignity? As you said in Angola when I was with you on the trip, you said the future belongs to those who protect dignity, not trample it. Yeah. Um, I said that in the speech at the Reagan Forum. Uh, I've said that to my counterpart, Minister Gallant, every time that I talk to him, and I talk to him every week. Uh, And I I emphasize the importance of uh, protecting uh, civilian lives. I also emphasize the importance of uh, providing humanitarian assistance to uh, the Palestinians. It's critical. It's, It's really important. Uh, this is. Uh, there's no question that this is a tough. It's been a tough uh, conflict, uh, but we're, as I said earlier, we are starting to see uh, the Israelis kind of shift their stance and, and change their approach to a more uh, focused uh, and uh, um, uh, controlled. Well, Control is probably not the right word, but a more focused effort, uh, wow. focused on a discrete set of objectives. Uh, and so um, I think, uh, you know, we, we talked to them about that uh, weeks ago, uh, and uh, they said they were going to do that, and they are doing that. But I will continue to emphasize, and I know Secretary Blinken and President Biden will continue to emphasize the importance of addressing the issue of the Palestinian people. Uh, it, it's critical. And, uh, you know, we're doing more, uh, but, but we're not doing enough. We're certainly not doing enough, and that entire answer is pretty much a fucking joke because of the fact that there's now $20 more dollars on the table to give to the government of Bibi Netanyahu as they commit. uh, Look, if we're going to look at war crimes on a spectrum, this is popular to do, now everything's on a spectrum. So if 10 is the worst, and they're, oh, yeah, well, they're dialing it back. Well, more controlled. Well, I wouldn't use the word controlled. Uh, What word should I use? Well, now there are five. So it's a level five war crimes now. Yeah, yeah, they have they turned off the water and the food and the and the the humanitarian aid. People were starving and dying. But uh, now they're just not bombing absolutely indiscriminately. Now it's targeted bombing of civilians and women and children and non-combatants. Unacceptable. All of it is unacceptable. As I've said, Israel absolutely has a right to defend itself against Hamas. What Israel unequivocally does not have a right to do is systematically target children, babies. They don't have that right. And the U.S. is now funding this war. Israel is not a developing nation. They are an industrialized, wealthy, technologically advanced country. They can pay for their own fucking murder 
of Palestinians. I also, I don't know if you saw the clip that was making its the rounds on Twitter a few days ago, but CNN was reporting on the ground and the IDF was apparently going to show them this quote-unquote Hamas tunnel that they claimed was underneath a Gaza cemetery that they destroyed. And they made up all of these different excuses about why they were not going to take CNN to the entrance of the tunnel, Mm -hmm. that it was unsafe, it was, they could fall in. Right. (laughs) It's a volcano, apparently. And then they ended up releasing, like, I don't know, aerial footage or something that they allowed them to see. And all of the, quote-unquote, Hamas entrance tunnels that they showed were outside the perimeter of the cemetery that they had destroyed. Right. And so... Desecrating graves of their enemy. Right. How many instances of this do yeah. we have to see? And and you're right. They're getting ready to give, I think it's like 17.6 that they're going to be giving in billions of dollars to Israel. We can always find money for this. But right. anytime you bring up, hey, can we fund the child tax credit? Can that come back? And Charles Grassley's like, uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm pretty old and maybe I forgot. What is disturbing is there was a Republican named uh, Glenn Gr- Grothman. He is from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. And he had the audacity to get up, stand up, and talk about how the people in Gaza are lucky. Um, in fact, that is not true. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about the people in Gaza should be so lucky, so grateful, realize how lucky and grateful they are that they are living so close to Israel. There are far too many Americans in general, and congressmen in particular, who define this conflict as between two sides apparently equal or close to equal. In fact, Gaza has been treated incredibly fairly and generously by Israel. Did you hear that, parents of 10,000 murdered Palestinian children? You are lucky. Color yourself lucky to live so close to Israel that they can bomb indiscriminately and not worry about killing other nations, sovereign nations that can defend themselves. How lucky you are. It's fucking gross. Well, and again, the United Nations uh, top court ordered Israel to do all it can to prevent deaths in Gaza. That's not happening. And none of the Republicans seem to care about that, about that ruling. But we're, we're hoping that in the face of the growing pressures, there's a lot of polling coming out that Americans are uh, against what Israel is doing, that they are increasingly not supportive of what Israel is doing. And so as we continue to talk about this, as everyone who's listening continues to talk about it, continues to educate people in their circles, hopefully public opinion can continue to grow and hopefully that can have an actual impact on yeah, what's happening. Absolutely. So as the election is coming closer and closer, we're now in February, scary times, the Fox News hosts were discussing the recent 
report on the economy, the jobs report. And anytime there's good news for the economy... or Which seems to be every day now, because the economy's booming right now. Or good news about the jobs report, they seem to struggle in how to report on it, and this was a perfect example. The U.S. labor market starting this year red hot. Employers adding a surprisingly strong 353,000 jobs last month. The estimate was 180, so that's almost 2x. Unemployment stays steady, 3.7%. The surging job growth could put pressure on the feds to keep interest rates where they are. Uh, In order to fight inflation, Democratic senators want the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, to cut interest rates before the election. That may happen. We don't know. They claim the rates are resulting in higher costs for home buyers and renters. That is true when it comes to the home market. But when the when that number comes in as hot as it does, they were thinking March, Dana. Then they started talking June. I think a big conversation over the weekend may be September now for the Fed if they do take action. a lot of headlines this morning, too, from the, some in the media on the left. If you read their the opinion columns, were basically saying that the economy is not just good, it's great. But the AP wrote this, that voters' feelings about the economy ticking up, but they're not transferring to Biden. So there's an uptick, but not helping him. And I'm sure he's very frustrated about could that. Could be. I thought the, the polling that we did yesterday that came out in Wisconsin and Georgia was very, very interesting. I think what it sets up, and, you know, if, if it goes this way and it stays this way with those numbers, we're going to have a race tight election come November. And right? isn't the billboard going to be fun that night? Yeah, and then you think about these seven or eight or nine battleground states, that's where the action is yet again. And if it is, I mean, if it, if it does get to seven or eight battleground mm-hmm. states, that'll be a real contest. Yeah. Indeed, it should be probably four or five. All right. Don't you love hearing rich people talk about the election like it's a WWE match coming yeah. up? Like they yeah. have no stake in what's actually going to happen because it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. It, it, no one cares. It is it is very funny to listen to them report on the the, the gangbusters economy. GDP is off the ch- record breaking. The stock market day after day break, breaking records. Inflation is coming down. Gas prices are down. Wages are up. Unemployment is at record lows. And what do they talk about? Well, what's what's really bad about this is uh, uh, people don't really feel like that though. I wonder why. So. The reality is that it's good. <laughs> yeah. But the reality you want to talk about is how people don't realize how good it is. Yeah. Great, great. And I, I wonder why. It, yeah. It's like you are complicit in that. They're like, huh, but this doesn't really translate into people supporting Biden. Huh, I wonder why. I wonder why right. it doesn't translate <laughs> right. into people supporting Biden, Ugh. Dana Perino. <laughs> Propagandist, man. Crazy. Yeah. So you were mentioning Chuck Grassley. Because we keep having these moments where Republicans are giving us a glimpse behind the curtain of how things actually work. And they're making it clear that they only want to support policies that are going to make Donald Trump's election odds improve. Mm -hmm. If it's something that is going to look good for Biden, that's something they're going to struggle to actually want to pass. And, And that's happening right now with the child tax credit expansion which the House last Wednesday passed a $78 billion bipartisan tax package that included the child tax credit expansion. You remember the child tax credit is what it's always been a thing, but it changed during the pandemic where people actually got checks in the mail. Right. And it wasn't just at the end of the year you get like a tax credit. It was actual checks, money in people's pockets, and it it had a significant impact on alleviating childhood poverty. Yeah, some studies 
indicated that childhood poverty decreased by like 40%, like sizable. Right. And so bringing this back is significant and it's absolutely going to help people and help children. But Chuck Grassley has some thoughts on whether or not Republicans should support it. Chamber actually passed a bipartisan tax bill. That bill enhances a child tax credit for lower income families and it boosts tax breaks for businesses. Now it moves to the Senate. But if you ask at least one Republican there, it's a no go. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley says, quote, I think that passing a tax bill that makes the president look good may allow checks before the election means that Biden could be reelected and then we won't extend the 2017 tax bill. Now, he's talking about checks there that could lift thousands of children out of poverty. That's pretty cynical. That's an understatement. That's prick shit, bro. (laughs) That's prick shit. That's that's an understatement. But (laughs) Chuck Grassley is admitting that yeah. we don't want to lift millions of children out of poverty unless we can have Donald Trump take credit for that. Yeah, it's not just the border. It's not just the immigration fight. It's every point of policy that can be passed, that can be forwarded to dramatically better the lives of people who are desperate and hurting and needy. It's who cares if Joe Biden gets credit for it even though they would also get credit for it. They voted for it. They could go back to their districts, or in the case of, of Chuck Grassley being a senator, back to the state of, uh, of Iowa and say, hey, look what we did for you. But no, because Joe Biden shares in the credit, fuck them. Fuck them. Who cares? We need Donald Trump back. Right. And this is kind of the problem. We are facing a lot of these voter panels that they keep doing with NBC News uh, or whatever. And they're sitting Where do they find these people? <laughs> they're sitting down with Trump supporters and they try to talk to them about why they're voting for Trump and you know, you would think that if you were to just read that Chuck Chuck Grassley quote to someone that they would think, "Wow, that's messed up," you know. Yeah. And 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 see what it is they're supporting, but NBC News did a focus group with women who support abortion rights and Donald Trump. And what's remarkable about this clip is you would think that if you just sit down with someone and you like talk about real things that have happened, like reality, that that they real things that have happened, like reality, (laughs) that they would that they we would all be on the same page. Right. Because they're the things that have happened. They're the things that objectively have occurred. Right. And that's just not the case. Who would say former President Trump is at least partially responsible for Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court? So none of you would say that he's at least partially responsible for it? Maybe just a little bit, because of his Supreme Court nominations. Okay, so I got one. Nobody else would say it? No? Okay, so, Kath, you said because of his Supreme Court nominations. Yeah. Okay. So for all of you, former President Trump has said publicly that he is, quote, proud, unquote, that he, quote, terminated, unquote, Roe v. Wade. What's your reaction to that? I don't like I don't like that comment. Um, I think it's terrible. I like Trump, but then I do disagree with that part of his beliefs. But on the same sense, 
I get his religious beliefs and I get a lot of the religious, <laughs> I understand a lot of people's religious beliefs on that situation. So I'm so like torn in the middle where me personally, I don't believe it. And I can't believe he says it like that. But on the other hand, I could see how and why he would be proud of that. Okay. Angie, what about you? Kind of gross. Gross that he said it. Yeah. Why? Um, I can believe that he said it, um, but it's just gross to to think it that that somebody can even be that disrespectful. But um, yeah, that's all. Why is why is it disrespectful? Um, it's disrespectful to women. Okay. Anybody else have a different view than uh, Helen, Lisa, and Angie when you hear that Trump said that he's proud that he terminated Roe v. Wade? I mean, he set his mind to something and he accomplished it, so I'll give him that. Again, that from that from someone who wouldn't even admit that he was responsible at the beginning of that clip. Right. So it's like, where do we go with this? Because he asked what is objectively true, Donald Trump, he is responsible for overturning Roe v. Wade because, you know, like that person said, he's partially responsible because of the Supreme Court justices. No, he's responsible because of the Supreme Court justices. Yes. And he <laughs> accepts responsibility. He He's taking credit for it. Yeah. Like the woman said at the end, he set his mind out to do it. It was his goal and he achieved it. But somehow when they're asked at the beginning if he's responsible, they they can't they can't admit that. Well, it's also I mean, like. Yeah, look, Ted Bundy, say what you will, he had a goal, he set his mind to it, and he accomplished it, so that's great. (laughs) I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) Also, who are these delusional people who still still claim, it's so hard, that Donald Trump is a religious person, that he has religious beliefs at his core? What? Donald Trump... The last time he was in a church was when he had to be for some political event. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't read the Bible. Two Corinthians. It's a Bible. It's a Bible. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just delusional. Yeah. So this this might be confusing to you because you heard that, by the way, there's like seven or so women on this Zoom call that they're conducting this focus group with just so you can get kind of a read on how many people are in this meeting. And so these are, again, Trump supporters who identify as feminists. And so this this guy leading the focus group actually asked them, like, how do you reconcile identifying as a feminist and supporting Donald Trump? Because you heard them. They were admitting that he's disrespectful to women, blah, blah, blah. Right. So how did they reconcile that? Olivia, Susan, and Kathy, you all voted for former President Trump in 2020. Tell me what it means to be a Trump voting feminist. And Susan, you're a contradiction. Lying. Say it again. A contradiction. Why is it a contradiction? Um, because, uh, as we've all seen, Trump doesn't necessarily treat women as equals. Okay. Kathy, why is, what does it mean to be a Trump voting feminist? Well, that is sort of like an oxymoron. But I look at his generation and in business back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was so different. 
and nowadays, you know, the, it's turned around, you know, the Me Too movement and everything else. And I'm hoping that he's adjusting to really how to treat women. Keep hoping. Do you, have you seen evidence that he's adjusting? Great Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, you voted for former President Trump in 2020. What does it mean to be a Trump voting feminist? Gosh. Hmm. Um, I guess it's my choice if I want to vote for him or not. I can agree with some of the things that he's done and said, but I also have the choice to be disgusted by some of the things that he said. Okay. You know what I'm really, my takeaway here is that they're not, they're not going to walk away from this meeting. It doesn't seem to me, and maybe I'm just being pessimistic. They're not going to walk away from this wrestling with these questions. They're not going to navigate these rough waters of how 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 do I claim to be a feminist and support? They're not going to. That's not going to be something they address. Yeah, you can see the way that they try to comfort themselves yeah. through the discomfort of acknowledging the contradictions in their stated values and principles. I mean, when she was asked directly, she had to laugh while saying, yeah, it's a contradiction because he doesn't respect women. Yeah. And I'm hoping that he changes. He's almost 80 years old and he has disrespected women. He's been a blatant misogynist his entire life. Why, when someone is 80 years old, would they suddenly have an epiphany and go, wow, I really have made a mistake my whole life. Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) either, it seems to me it's either two things. It's either... He is a fucking moron who's too stupid to learn and grow and change. Or sexism and sexual abuse, uh, sexual assault, these are core values of Donald Trump that he's adhering to. That's who he is. Right. And there was another headline this week where Donald Trump, his his various super PACs, have spent $50 million on legal fees for him. In 2023 alone. And, I mean, think about that. We The, the number one president that all those women are supporting, every, he's the top of the polls. No one can touch him. No one can beat him. He just had to pay $83 million for, again, defaming the woman that he was found guilty of sexually assaulting. This is all, like, facts that have been proven in court now. Yeah. And still, he's the number one guy. And what I love about this is Nikki Haley is pretending as though she is, you know, some sort of alternative to Donald Trump, even though, please, please, guys, like, we're we're keeping these clips of her. We're, we're hoarding them, like little Nikki Hater nikki haley clip hoarders and like what nikki haley clip hoarders and we're (laughs) (laughs) and we are going to remember the things that she said because in about four weeks nikki haley is going to come out and she's going to endorse donald trump but before she endorses him let's hear what she had to say about donald trump spending 50 million dollars on legal fees CNN is reporting today that two of Donald Trump's political action committees spent nearly $50 million on legal fees uh, and ended the year with only $5.1 million in the bank. Uh, What's your reaction to that? I mean, get ready to spend more campaign dollars on legal fees because those 
court cases have just started. He's got two in March and they go out for the rest of the year. It is unconscionable to me that a candidate would spend $50 million in legal fees. It explains why he's not doing many rallies. He doesn't have the money to do it. It explains why he doesn't want to get on a debate stage because he doesn't want to talk about why he's doing it. It explains why he had a temper tantrum, um, you know, the election night of New Hampshire is because he wants me out of the race and he wants to be the presumptive nominee so that all of that cash starts going to him and he doesn't have to spend anymore. But that's a reality of a real big problem for Republicans going forward. This is not personal for me. I don't have issues with Donald Trump. I voted with him, voted for him twice. I was proud to serve America and his administration. This is about the fact that we have a country to save. Did you hear the word she used? One, I believe you are 100% correct, Brittany Page, that she will, in you know, inside of four weeks, be endorsing Donald Trump, mm-hmm. a man who is behaving in a manner that she just categorized herself as unconscionable. Yeah. She says, it is unconscionable to me. Right. Yet, in, in three weeks' time, I'm going to invo- endorse Donald Trump for President of the United States because I am a fucking holy, soulless individual who only wants to be close to power. What a remarkable grift Donald Trump has achieved. It's still something that I, I can't believe, that people are funding him to the tune of you know, 50 plus million dollars that he is using to pay his legal fees when he is just a self-involved, only concerned about himself, only worried about himself, criminal, allegedly, well, and not. No, not. Well, take take heart, Brittany Page, in in the fact that they are now taking in... um, Taking in less money than they are putting out. So I mean, they're the the, the RNC finished the year with like eight million dollars on hand. That is nothing. That is nothing. I think people are tired. Republicans are tired, growing weary of funding Donald Trump for these purposes, not for campaigning, not for getting back in the Oval Office, not for any of those things that are traditional. They are to defend himself against consequences for the crimes he has committed. That, that's got to sting at some level, some at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we want to transition to a bill in Utah that has been introduced. It is, it's going to amend the state's child abuse reporting requirements to include legal protections for members of the clergy who report cases of ongoing abuse or neglect that they learned through a religious confession. Now, the reason that this is being introduced is because there's been a lot of controversy over churches, church officials not reporting abuse and then continuing to allow the abuser to have access to children because they did not report the abuse because it was it was an admission during a confession which is a protected space yeah. and in the state of Utah the religious officials clergy they are exempt from requirements that mandate them to immediately report suspected claims of child abuse or neglect yeah so let's 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 paint a picture here so you go into confession like traditional sense with the catholic church or you're you're talking with your bishop if you're a mormon and it is revealed through this counseling that 
You raped your daughter, systemically raped your daughter over the course of years and years, and it's continuing to happen. It is currently happening that you're raping your daughter. They're not required to tell law enforcement, to protect that child, to to do something to get that child out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. And they are they are nervous, opposed to this bill because of those that the, the the requirement. But the bill you were telling me is only a they're able to. It's not a requirement. Yes, th- that they're actually. So the Catholic Church is not super happy with the bill. We're, we're going to get to that. The Mormon Church is apparently fine with the bill because, again, it's giving legal protections for members of the clergy. They're all happy because ultimately this current bill is not going to force them to be mandated reporters. Right. And going back to why this is in the news, there's been several in-depth investigative reports specifically about the Mormon Church because there have been lawsuits filed against the church that they failed to step in to protect after they learned about situations where there was child abuse, child sexual abuse. And they have a hotline where their church officials can call, but it's not reporting the abuse. It's going to a church attorney who then lets them know how they should proceed in order to protect the church. So any way that you read this, what the churches are concerned about here is protecting themselves. And there's going to be a particular line in this news package that makes that very clear. Well, Dini and Mike, a Republican lawmaker this year is trying a more middle-of-the-road approach. And now, significantly, two major faith groups here say they won't oppose it. When it comes to spiritual leaders reporting child abuse, Rabbi Avremi Zippel comes at it from two perspectives, a crime victim advocate and a cleric. Something needs to be done about it. He's pleased with a new bill giving clergy the option of reporting ongoing child abuse or neglect to authorities, even if they learned about it during a confession. I think the rank and file of men and women want to see this change happen. This is more of a carrot approach. Representative Anthony Lubay is sponsoring it. Under the bill, he says clergy would still be protected from lawsuits or criminal liability. This is an issue that has been a concern of trying to make sure that we can help these children that are being abused. And I know if I was ever in that situation, I would like to have the ability to be able to report. A spokesperson for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tells KSL 5 News, we do not oppose Representative Lubay's bill. The Catholic Diocese of Salt Lake City echoes that, but worries the bill could change, requiring priests to report. If this requirement were to become law, the diocese said, Catholic priests would face the untenable choice of breaking the law or being excommunicated. I'd love to see it go further. But Representative Angela Romero, who's worked on this issue, says this year's bill strikes the right balance. In any legislation you run, sometimes you have to take it in intervals, and I see this as a step in the right direction. Now, this bill was just made public today. The next step would be a committee hearing here at the Capitol before it could advance. So basically, they that was an abrupt end of the clip. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor editing on my part. The, the liability protections, basically, that this bill will offer are the same that any mandatory reporter would get. So like, I'm a mandatory reporter as a therapist. You're a mandatory reporter if you're a teacher. In all kinds of different professions, you are a mandatory reporter of of abuse. And this bill is just going to give the same liability protections that other mandatory reporters have. But it doesn't make it a requirement. In my case, it's required. I will get in trouble 
if I hear about suspected child abuse and I do not report that. And I, I guess what's strange to me is to hear in that news package that Catholic priests are concerned that they will be put in a position where they're forced to choose between obeying the law and being in trouble with their church. Now, now, why would someone want to be involved in a situation where making a child abuse report to protect a child who's being abused is going to put you in a bad spot Yeah, in your religious tradition? Yeah, it, it is. Here's, here's the, 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 here's the rub. From from the from from a a faithful person a Christian person perspective, you could still be forgiven for what you do for your crime against a child, both spiritual crime and and literal secular crime, civil crime. Um, being forgiven doesn't mean you don't have consequence. It doesn't mean you don't go to jail. It doesn't mean you can't be punished. But you're forgiven by God. Your your spiritual uh, life can be eternal in heaven being a rapist. But that doesn't mean you're not going to face legal consequences here on earth. They're not, it's not like, oh, well, if 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 we have to report him, then he's just going to have to go to hell. That No. It, it, you can still face consequences and be forgiven spiritually and all of the you know the the faith stuff. Well, in some in some of these invest, in investigative reports about the abusers who confessed to their church officials and then were not reported and continued to have access to the the people that they were abusing, the church will say we excommunicated them. Yeah, and it's like okay, that is meaningless, completely meaningless outside of your own religious tradition. It's also particularly meaningless because you excommunicate people for. I don't know, being like corrupting influences and trying to like educate people about the reality of the history of the church or you excommunicate them because they they're gay or like, right. I, don't, I don't know when you're excommunicating people for child molestation and like being a corrupting influence in the faith, excommunication doesn't mean anything to anyone at that yeah. point. It's, it's not communicating something that's useful. Well, it most certainly shouldn't mean anything to civil authorities. We have a first amendment under the constitution uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. The civil authorities don't give a single fuck or shouldn't about your particular mythology. And everyone should be invested in protecting kids. If you are a clergy member, I understand you want to build trust with somebody. You want someone to come in and tell you about the things that they're doing. Therapists are in that same exact situation. Teachers yeah. are in that same exact situation. They still have to report. I don't see why it should be any different. There should be no different rules for people who are in churches. It just I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. It's Utah and other states. Yeah. But this is largely dri driven by a Utah thing. We'd love to hear what you have to think about this. If you are in, uh, in, in a situation to have knowledge about it, or if you're in Utah, or you just have opinions, 657-464-464. 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Dr. Lloyd Williams. Dr. Lloyd Williams with Duke University. He is an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon. 
and he works with the Himalayan Cataract Project. He's on a mission to cure blindness in South Sudan. And there's just some people that you come across where when you hear about the stuff that they do and who they are as a person, yeah. you're like, I don't care about anything else that I might learn about this person. This person is a good person. And yeah. that's how I felt about Dr. Lloyd Williams. For eye surgeon Dr. Lloyd Williams, this moment when the bandages first come off says everything. After a life-changing eye surgery, this woman is seeing again for the first time in years. That moment, repeated over and over again, as people who had surgery the day before adjust to the light. What is that moment for you? When I first saw it happen, I thought, I could do this for the rest of my life and never feel like I wasted a minute. Dr. Williams, an ophthalmologist at Duke University, has traveled with the Himalayan Cataract Project for a decade on a mission to cure blindness. The latest trip in December to South Sudan in Africa, a country with the highest rate of blindness in the world. Dr. Williams worked alongside two local eye surgeons. For the most part, I don't even get up. I just sit, do surgery next do surgery next. They call these surgical boot camps, performing nearly 2,000 cataract surgeries in just 10 days. People walked from as far away as 40 miles to be here, some arriving in wheelbarrows, many led by a stick. The results are immediate. Five-year-old Kual, confused at first in this new world of sight, before finally spotting his mom. Many families here have a child take care of the person who's blind. You cure the blindness in the individual. You improve the economic situation of the family. You put one of their children back in school. This woman seeing her adult son for the first time in five years. Imagine if you hadn't seen your child. For years. Yeah. I mean, it's really yeah. quite remarkable. You don't need to speak the language to understand what's Absolutely. happening. She locks eyes with her son. We had one boy say to us, I don't deserve to have any friends because I'm blind. And when I see that in them and I think I can do something about it, it just makes that all worthwhile. These boot camps changing lives as patients come out of the darkness to see the world in a new light. Brittany has the thing that she says, <clears throat> emotional, uh, about like artists and musicians. Mm. That if you create like a hit song that brings people joy, <clears throat> you should be taken care of for the rest of your life. You should not have to work ever again. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way about like this guy. Should, yeah. This guy should never have to worry about his bills. He shouldn't have to worry about fucking student loans. This guy is immeasurably impacting the lives of people who were maybe maybe hopeless before. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here with a fucking microphone in my front of my face <laughs> like a loser. No, I think it's I think this is why we love the taking care of biz segment, right? Because we spend sometimes the whole show talking about what is wrong, yeah. what's not going well. Nice palate cleanser going from mandatory reporters of child rape to this beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah, and remember, there's people like this everywhere yeah. who are out there giving of themselves. 
God damn it. I, why do I keep crying today? <laughs> so anyway, you get it. Just fill in the blank about what I was going to say. So Dr. Lloyd Williams taking care of his. Absolutely. Uh, once again, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Pick your tier and help support the show. We love and appreciate you. We will see you next time. Until then, Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 